Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, John McGee. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, hey friends, welcome back. I've got a great episode for you today. We're going to replay one of the talks that was given at CLC 2023. It was from David Peniel and Caitlin Van Wagner, and I asked them to put together a talk about resolving conflict, and they did an excellent job, both in their content that they spoke, and they also put together a great handout that was a they call the Conflict Roadmap. And uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Both of these things will be, I think, really helpful for you. But this is one of those that I think would be a great conversation as a team. Whatever size team you're on, whatever size team you lead, the full staff or a smaller team, just to ask, how are we doing uh, resolving conflict? Do we all have tools? Do we Are we all stacking hands on the fact that we will resolve conflict and even how we do so? So hopefully this will be really helpful to you. So without further ado, please listen to this talk from Caitlin and David. All right, guys. Well, as you know, the theme of this year's Church Leaders Conference is reflect. And so Caitlin and I thought we would start off our time together with you today by reflecting on some memories of previous church leaders conferences. Last year, uh, we had a session where we hosted our weekly staff meeting. We call it staff prayer right here on this stage. You see, usually we gather around, we sit on the floor and we invited attendees up here on the stage. You can see some pictures of that on the screen behind me. And what we talked about was how we gather every single week and we do a couple things. We sing together and we share about what's going on in our ministry. We celebrate the work that God's doing in our midst and we update each other on things we need to know that are going on. And then lastly, we spend time praying. We call it staff prayer. We pray and sometimes we play. And so reflecting back on last year's CLC, the main point of that session was this. And we're gonna re-emphasize that in our time together right here, is that the health of your team is vitally important to the health of your church or ministry. And so we talked about how we try to emphasize the health of our team as a church staff. And whether your church staff is two people or 20 people, the health of that team is vitally important to the health of your church or your ministry. And so we talked about staff prayer and all the things that we do there last year, but this year we wanna talk about one more key element of our staff culture that is essential to the health of our team that bleeds out into the health of our church. But David, ministry. before yeah. we get there, there are a few memories from past LCs that I'd love to reflect on. Do you mind? I already hit the staff prayer. Um, what? I've, oh no, a couple more. So I think we wanna reflect on this memory from CLC two years ago, potentially. So if you were here, this is the moment that David told the audience he thought that I looked like Wednesday Adams. Um, but, or maybe there's another one. I think we've got another moment up here. This was the moment when he said I looked like Ruth Bader Ginsburg on stage. Um, I think we have some more. Let's just see. More? Well, yeah, reflecting is fun. Um, oh, this was the moment I think you made a comment about me looking like a geisha. Well, yeah. I just said memoirs of that a geisha make it better. called and um, wanted their outfit. I think we actually have a couple more from the same week, CLC two years ago. Wow. Oh, this is my favorite. This is the moment where during the dating game, David made sure the audience knew that I was the oldest bachelorette there. That was really fun. Reflecting Caitlin, is so fun. I was, I, Remember? I was actually emphasizing that he was the youngest. Yes, that doesn't help. Again. Yeah. Okay. But, and remember how all of this played out in front of thousands of people and my whole church family and, you know, all of my colleagues and my parents. You're, remember how all that played out two years ago at CLC? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a, those are great memories. Yeah, those sweet, on. sweet memories. <laughs> um, so what's less fun to reflect on 
is that David really hurt me that week at CLC two years ago. And we wanna give you a little bit more context about what was going on behind the scenes at CLC two years ago. The first is that uh, before all of that happened, David had just become my new boss. I had just started working for him. We didn't know each other all that well. Another thing to know is that behind the scenes, two years ago at CLC, we put on that conference one day after our senior pastor and another elder resigned. And David and I were both intricately involved in that process. So that week, we were sad, we were tired, we were unsure about the future. David and I were both playing hurt, which made this a really inconvenient time for us to get into conflict. So David, why are we out here reliving that really bad week? Okay. (laughs) Reflecting is fun. Reflecting's great. Here's why we start with that story because that was the origin of a conflict between us at a really tender moment. And we, we wanna note right here at the beginning of this message that just because you are in full-time ministry or you are a really active, important volunteer at your church because you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, those things do not make you immune to conflict. Romans 8.22 tells us all creation, including ministers, are groaning. We still live in a broken world. And while we have been rescued from the consequences of our sin and our eternities are secure, we still deal with our fallen, broken flesh every single day. Which means when we interact with one another, conflicts are going to happen. And what matters is how you respond because you will offend other people that you work with and you will be offended, but remember where we started. The health of your team is vitally important to the health of your church or ministry. So everyone experiences conflict, especially church leaders. So let me see if any of these scenarios sound familiar to you. Another teammate failed to plan properly, causing more work for you, and you're still just a little bit bitter about it. You sent an email that was a little bit too harsh, and you know it, but you don't wanna correct it. You and another staff member are in the habit of gossiping or speaking poorly about someone else. There is someone on your team that you avoid working with because you always seem to disagree or maybe they just kind of bug you. You have uncrossable lines or untouchable people at your church. Someone that consistently says or does hurtful things but nobody addresses them because they're in a position of power. If any of these sound familiar, you may have an unhealthy culture of conflict at your church or organization, and in some ways, that's an okay place to start because conflict happens to every person on every team, in every church, and in every organization. But it's also critical that the church get it right. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God and to serve one another because remember, the health of your team is vitally important to the health of your ministry. All right, we've repeated that a few times. That was the foundation of last year's message. And so now I wanna give you, that was our introduction, our sermon in a sentence. I like to try to sum up any message that we give in just one sentence. So here's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time together this afternoon is this. We wanna show you that when leaders resolve conflict, we reflect Christ in a uniquely tangible and powerful way. That is a mouthful, but every single word was chosen with prayer and thoughtfulness as we prepared for this message. We really believe all of you are leaders, otherwise you wouldn't be here at the Church Leaders Conference, and you're going to get into conflict. 
But when you lean into it and you take the steps that God has given us in his word to resolve conflict with one another, to fight for unity and love and peace on your teams, you have an opportunity where no message, no Bible study, no curriculum, no program can accomplish to reflect Christ in a uniquely tangible and powerful way. Let me show you where this comes from God's word. At the end of his ministry, when he was preparing to go to the cross in a matter of hours, Jesus gathered his disciples together for their last supper, and he taught them many things that are captured in the uh, later chapters of John. And in John chapter 13, one of the things Jesus shared with the original group of church leaders gathered together in that upper room is this. Simply this, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. All people in your town, in your city, in your church, in your ministries will know that you are Jesus's disciples. If you get regeneration at your church, if you bring re-engage, if you have the best programs, the best worship leaders, if your messages are really memorable and have great illustrations, they'll all know that you're my disciples. If you have an answer to every question, your apologetics are off the charts. If you respond appropriately to every political question that comes your way, they will know that's not what Jesus said. You see it on the screen, so you know I'm wrong in everything I just said. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, church family, church leaders, our greatest evangelism and apologetic tool is our love for one another on our teams. And yet, there is unresolved conflict down the row in this room today. So there's hope though, guys. There's hope. But I want to emphasize the importance of this. This is our ministry. This is our testimony. Is your love for one another with the people you came here to this conference with. So here's the hope, is God's word has given us a roadmap for conflict resolution. And we wanna simply walk you through this roadmap. Caitlin described how I offended her a few years ago. And so we're gonna walk through the roadmap from the perspective of the person who has been offended. And then at the end, we'll talk about the perspective of the person who has done the offense. But Caitlin, take us through What's a roadmap for conflict resolution? So like David said, today we're gonna walk through. It's a dream come true for me. That's, um, that's us on the road. Oh, wow. On the road. Um, so like David said, God's word gives us a roadmap for resolving conflict. So the principles that we're gonna talk about today are not new and they are not original to Watermark. We can't take credit for them. They're just God's word. And the hope is that when you walked in, you were given a card and hopefully that content on this card will be a reminder to you of what we, what we talk about today. But there's also something else on this card. There's a lot more scripture. Because our hope is that next time you find yourself in a conflict, you would ground yourself in God's word and what he says about how to navigate your way through. So are you ready to get going on our conflict resolution Let's roadmap? go, what's the first stop, Caitlin? First stop on our conflict resolution map, it, roadmap is to determine, am I actually in a conflict? And this is a little bit less cut and dry than you might think. So here are a few questions to help you determine if you are in fact in a conflict. Has someone sinned against me? Have I sinned against someone? Has someone broken my trust? Have I spoken poorly about someone? Am I imagining payback, revenge, or justice? Am I actively avoiding someone? 
After David and I's comments on stage to me um, two years ago, figuring out if I was in conflict was actually a little bit tricky. You see, I tried to play it off that week as if it wasn't a big deal. I was also feeling more emotions than I even knew how to name. So it took me a little bit of time to determine if we were actually in conflict. But the concept that stood out from that list was the idea of broken relational trust. I knew something between us had fractured. And the implication of that would be diminished trust between us, and that would have an impact not just on us, but on the teams that we lead together and on our broader church. So we'll hear a little bit more about that part of kind of your process later, but essentially you determined, okay, we're in a conflict. So that's the first step is just determining, and, and look, I think that's helpful just to identify, okay, that's what this is. Because once you identify the problem, then you can work towards a solution. All right, I am in a conflict. So what's stop two? Stop two is this. After you determine you're in a conflict, can I overlook it? And to tease this out a little bit, can I privately overlook this offense? Can I make allowance for each other's faults? That's what it says in Ephesians chapter four. In our love for one another, we should make allowance for each other's faults. Can I forgive them? Colossians three, forgive as Christ forgave me, and then move on. So if you're the offended party, like this is super important to just evaluate. Is this something I could overlook? But it's important that you don't. Some of you guys are conflict avoiders and that you are very prayerful in this moment of going, oh, am I overlooking it and forgiving it and moving on just because I don't like tough conversations? And I would rather peace fake than actually have a conversation I need to have to peace make. Because you don't wanna be on either end of the pendulum. You don't wanna be a peace faker. You don't wanna be a peace breaker. Jesus called us and said we are blessed if we are peacemakers. So you've got to evaluate this question. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. So can you overlook it? And look, I'm someone, more commonly, I'm the offender than the one that is offended. So I always appreciate it when others, you know, glory and overlook the offense. But you should prayerfully consider this. So this as, when you are the offended party determining whether or not you should overlook an offense, this is where time can really be your friend. It can be wise to take a few hours or even a few days to step back, to cool down, to get perspective, to see if you can see things more clearly and determine what grace you can ex extend. What uh, can you overlook their offenses? In David and I's situation, the thing I needed more than anything else was sleep. So I took the weekend. I took the whole weekend after CLC two years ago and I went on long walks, I prayed, I slept, I talked to some friends, I actually prayed to the Lord that God would help me overlook this offense. Because I, while I didn't know David all that well, I knew his character enough about it to know it wasn't his intention to embarrass me. I wanted to believe the best. I really wanted to be able to overlook it. Let me, let me insert a side note here because you talked about time being your friend. Uh, we have an owner's manual when you join our staff here at the church and it talks about what the culture of our team is like. And if you've ever looked at it, um, we have a PDF we can share with you. There's a glossary in the back and one of the terms in our glossary that we use as a church staff is called the 24-hour rule. And it's a rule to help us combat gossip on our teams. So if Caitlin comes to me talking about someone else, I, I say, hey, you need to go talk to them about that, not me, that's gossip. You have 24 hours. But Caitlin just said her friend in this situation, evaluating whether or not she could overlook this offense, was 
time. And if she was forced to come talk to me within 24 hours, she wasn't ready because she didn't even know if she was actually offended or if she could overlook it. And so we have really been trying on our staff to edit our 24-hour rule and change something in our owner's manual. And we're gonna call it the 24-hour principle because rules can be used to make people feel guilty that they're not doing things right. It could even be used to manipulate or control somebody. And we want all of our motives in conflict resolution to be John 13, 35 motives, love. And so we're gonna operate now according to the 24-hour principle. We were really proud of our 24-hour rule, but we realized that doesn't always serve the purpose of love in every situation. So we're gonna keep it a short time frame. Like, you do wanna go quickly once you realize you're offended, but sometimes you do need some time to process and determine, okay, what are my next steps here? All right, so if God says it is to one's glory to overlook an offense, how do you know if something rises to the level of it actually needing to be addressed? How do we know when we've gotten there and it's something that we really do need to lean in and address? So here on your card, you also have four indicators of when to not overlook an offense, when it rises to the level of needing to be addressed. If the offense dishonors God, if the offense broke a relationship, if the offense is hurting others, or if the offense is hurting the offender. In our situation, I decided it was important to address because I knew that we had a fracture in our relationship, but something else was happening. I knew it was hurting David's reputation. You see, after that week, David and I both got a lot of feedback because that was a very public event. People were checking on me to make sure that I was okay, but I also knew that people were giving David feedback that maybe he had crossed a line and I didn't want his reputation to suffer, both as my boss and as a significant leader in our church. I didn't want that for him. Okay, so that leads us to the next step in the roadmap. Uh, you've gotta prepare your heart and mind for interaction. So here's what Kate, Caitlin did. Am I in a conflict? I went on a few walks. I realized, yeah, David hurt me. We're in a conflict. My trust is broken with him. Then she realized, okay, um, I, I need to process, can I overlook this? No, actually, I can't because trust is diminished. His reputation is tarnished. We've gotta work this out. So she's gotta come to me now and talk to me so that we can be united in a kind of peaceful relationship that will be a ministry to others, all right? So she's gotta come to me, uh, but she's got one more stop on the roadmap before she sets up a meeting with David Peniel, and that is part three. Caitlin had to ask, what is my part to own in this? The foundational scripture for this stop is one that hopefully is familiar to you, Matthew chapter seven in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in verses three through five, why do you see the speck that is in David's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? <laughs> don't weaponize this. <laughs> How can you say to your brother, that good guy, old Dave, mm -hmm. let me take yeah. the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. I mean, Jesus is very direct here. Take the log out of your own eye. It is, yeah. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now here's the point. Again. Like I'm joking around. No, everything's, we're fine. It's great. We're doing great. Here's the point. It's rare in any conflict, even when it's pretty cut and dry, 
David was a jerk, Caitlin was an innocent victim. It's rare, even in that situation, that 100% of the blame lies with any one party. And so even if your part in the conflict and the need for resolution is very, very small, so we use the phrase 2%, if your part is just 2%, what you do to take the log out of your own eyes, you do everything you can do to own and take responsibility for your 2%, however small it is. You're asking the question as a humble person, how did I contribute to this conflict? So in our situation, I had to admit to myself and then eventually to David that I had downplayed my hurt that week. David actually came to me after all that happened at CLC two years ago, and he asked me if I was okay, and I reassured him several times that I was fine. And the truth is, is that wasn't honest. It wasn't truthful. Um, I had peace faked because I, 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 was, I was so exhausted. And then also the truth is, is that I was embarrassed and my pride was wounded. So I had peace faked. And honestly, peace faking can be just as much of a culture killer as peace breaking. So that brings us to our fourth stop on the conflict resolution map. Um, how do I seek reconciliation? How do you go to your brother once they've offended you and gently point out their part in the conflict and give them a genuine opportunity to make amends? So here's where we're gonna get really practical. When you're the offended party and you're going to seek reconciliation, do it gently and do it clearly. Do it gently by extending as much grace as you can, by looking for opportunities to believe the best. Don't theorize about somebody else's potential motives. You can use words like, I know it wasn't your intention to hurt me, but, or I know the man or woman that you want to be, and this one moment just didn't reflect that. But you should also do it clearly. Don't sugarcoat what happened or the impact that had on you. Say it, stick to emotion, or stick to uh, unemotional facts. State it gently and state it clearly. So Caitlin, that is exactly what I remember about that interaction. Several days after the church leaders conference, after people came to me and they were like, I think you embarrassed Caitlin. And I was like, no, I didn't. And I came to you and I was like, hey, are you good? And you're like, yeah, I'm good. Then you came to me and you were gentle and you were clear. So like, let's just tell everybody, like, what did you say? Like recap for them what you said to me. So I came to you the next week and I admitted to you that I hadn't been truthful when I had said that I wasn't hurt. And I explained to him why. It took a few days for me to even realize that we were in a conflict and that I couldn't overlook it. I reiterated that I respect him and that I trust him and that I wanna follow him, but I was clear that what he had done had hurt me and embarrassed me. And so what Caitlin is doing here is she is literally following step-by-step step what Jesus outlined for us in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. I wanna read that for you and then we'll kind of explain a little bit how she applied that. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. She didn't come to me with an army. She came to me privately to discuss this matter. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We'll tell you what happened here in a minute, but if I didn't respond well in that moment, Jesus gave Caitlin further instructions. He says, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So widen the circle to a broader group of believers involved in your church or fellowship. And if he refuses, listen, even that, this is where it gets really hard. Let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Meaning he, not you, he has chosen to break fellowship with you and the community of faith of which you are a part. 
and you should treat it that way. So these are the guidelines that Jesus gave Caitlin. She followed it to a T. She came to talk to me one-on-one in private and gave me a chance to listen and repent. And she was ready coming into that conversation to forgive. Now I wanna talk briefly about forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 and 13, it's on your card, but it calls us to forgive just as the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. So forgiveness means entrusting all justice, all vengeance to God. All sin is going to be paid for in one of two ways. Either the person is going to put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and their sin is paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ or else they are going to reject Jesus Christ as the savior and the propitiation for our sin and they will pay for that sin in a way that none of us, no vengeance or revenge we could ever take will even come close to matching. It will be eternity separated from God in hell. But justice and vengeance belong to God. And so we can entrust justice to him. That is what forgiveness is, is saying, God, I'm gonna release all demands for justice and vengeance here to you, and I'm going to treat them as a brother and sister and let you deal with justice. And there's seven things on your card that forgiveness is not. Because a common phrase in our culture is forgive and forget. Actually, you don't forget the offense. You remember that Jesus paid for that offense. You remember that justice is in God's hands. And so there's a whole list of seven things forgiveness is not. And this is very important, especially if the offense ventures into a territory that can be abusive. uh, Forgiving someone who has been abusive to you or continually hurtful towards you is is not mean you trust them. It doesn't mean you excuse what they do. It means you're entrusting them to God. So make sure you look at that list of seven things forgiveness is not. But what happened in our situation, Caitlin? So in our situation, we didn't need to do anything beyond that first step that's outlined in Matthew 18. I went to David, I admitted my part to own, and then he apologized um, and, and gave me one of the most incredible apologies I've ever received. In fact, it's been two years and I can still remember it almost word for word. David, do you remember what you said? Yes, um, I remember as you shared that with me, uh, and you were very like vulnerable and honest, you brought me to a place of vulnerability and honesty as well. Like you told everybody at the beginning, we had just been through a tough couple weeks, and specifically a few days when, when that event happened. And so I just admitted to my own exhaustion in the moment when that had happened and insecurity, and I kind of took you on a journey back into little Dave's life when I was in seventh and eighth grade. And um, uh, stay with me here. He really um, did, though. Like, I did, did, and I said, hey, Caitlin, here's what you need to know about me. This is a pattern of sin in my life. When I feel insecure, what the way I cope and compensate for my insecurity is through humor. Because when I get a laugh out of a group of people, it makes me feel better. It's like a drug. It actually makes me feel like I'm in control of the situation because I can do something and get a response. And so I was exhausted and I was insecure. And you know what I did in that moment? I got a laugh at your expense. And you suffered, you were embarrassed. And I hurt you. And I asked her, I was like, am I getting this right? And you were like, you got it, bud. <laughs> and, and so after I acknowledged where I was wrong, and, and I said, I don't wanna hurt you. I 
care about you, I love you, I love serving with you, and I don't want there to be brokenness between us. I, I did a few other things. I directly said, I am sorry for telling a joke at your expense and hurting you and embarrassing you. And then I didn't just say I'm sorry, because that's just an acknowledgement that I'm a sorry person. I followed it up by saying, will you forgive me for that offense? And I gave her an opportunity to forgive me. And then lastly, I said, Caitlin, we're gonna keep working together and I wanna keep working together with you. So uh, here's my pledge to you. I'm not gonna embarrass you again in front of a group of people. And if I do, I'll, hopefully I'll handle it just this way. But just know it's not about you. It's about my own insecurity. But I'm gonna try my hardest going forward not to ever do this again. So that was my apology to you. Yes. So up until this point, we've explored the situation from my perspective, from the perspective of the one that was offended. But what if you're the offender? How do you go about seeking reconciliation? How do you navigate the type of apology that David gave me? So David, why don't you quickly take them through your framework for making amends? Yes, unfortunately, I've had some practice at this. Um, <laughs> so on the back of your card in the, in the white section, you can see uh, a little section that says navigating an apology. And uh, amends, you wanna mend the relationship and make amends. It starts with the letter A, and so I use that letter A as a mnemonic device, and I just go through my head. Every time somebody comes to me and they're like, David, you offended me, I'm like, all right, I know what I need to do. I gotta admit what I did was wrong. And I gotta figure out what that is. I gotta explore their pain and really figure out the harm that I caused. Number two, I've gotta apologize. I need to directly say I'm sorry for that thing. Number three, I've gotta ask for forgiveness. And then number four, I gotta accept the consequences. Maybe when I'm on stage with Caitlin, I can't be as funny as I was that time, and that is an okay consequence to accept. I'm gonna make a change. And here's the thing, guys. You're not really sorry about your sin if you keep doing it. If you keep doing the same thing, if you don't accept the consequence and change your behavior, you're not really sorry in the relationship really isn't amended. So that's kind of the, how we navigate an apology. When you're the offender, mm -hmm. that is the posture your, your heart should immediately take when someone brings something to you, is to have a heart and a posture of curiosity. I wanna understand your pain and the damage that I cause. Not defensiveness. Mm -hmm. I, I know I'm not perfect. I won't be till I arrive in glory. So when somebody brings something to me, they love me. It is a kindness to me. It is like oil on my head. So tell me where I've gone wrong. Give me an opportunity to glorify Christ by coming towards you. So because of the way that David apologized, we were almost instantly reconciled and trust was restored. Specifically the way that he, to use his phrase, explored my pain. He validated what I was feeling. I felt really, I felt really justified and whole. I wanted to forgive him. My heart posture was positioned to forgive him. But something else happened in that moment. To see David, who's one of the most significant leaders at our church, humble himself and ask for forgiveness from me, his employee, um, was something that has continued to minister and an example that I have continued to draw from. Instead of causing a rift between us, my respect and trust for David actually grew. And it's also an example I have gone back to with my own employees. When I need to go and seek reconciliation with them, I've remembered the way that David did it with me. All right, guys, before we wrap up, I wanna answer one question that may be bouncing around in your head is this. What if I follow this roadmap that God has given us through his word and it doesn't go well? Now, remember, you have Matthew 18, you have verse 15, but you also have 16 and 17. That's a guide, but I want to give you, and these aren't on your card, so this may be a time when you wanna take a picture of the screen or get out a pen and take notes because I do think this is vitally important to the health of your team and also your church or ministry. And, and there's four things I think about whenever I 
um, you know, am hurt by someone, I bring it to them, and their response is not ideal. So guys, what if you point out the speck in another's eye and they don't repent? Meaning, they respond with explanations, they make excuses, they repent with words, but then they keep doing it again and again, not with action, so you don't see the fruit of repentance in their life. What if it doesn't go well? So here are four things to think about. Number one, with a forgiving heart, entrust justice to God. We already discussed this, Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. So with a forgiving heart, entrust justice to God. Number two, avoid the temptation to gossip. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife, but gossip separates friends. So don't go talk about this situation with others and complain about how bad they are. Then number three, sometimes you need to establish boundaries, wise boundaries. Proverbs 13, 20, we usually use this verse with uh, high school students to help them pick their friends. But this has a great application here. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so someone who you bring an offense to and they either are unrepentant or there's a false repentance or there's an explanation or there's excuses, there's a downplaying, they turn it back on you. If that happens over and over again, that person is a fool. They're not walking according to the spirit of God. And if you continue walking with that fool, you will suffer harm. And so sometimes you need to separate yourself from that person. And that's number four. Well, after, I'll, I'll stay on wise boundaries for a second. When I say separate yourself, I'm meaning that's the end of Matthew 18, verse 17. I'm meaning that's 1 Corinthians 5, where you expel the immoral brother from within you. That's heartbreaking, but it's biblical and it's clear. And that, then we go to number four, pray for them and keep working on your own heart. We don't have to be bitter. We don't have to be resentful. In fact, we should not be if we have a forgiving and a prayerful heart. And so we pray for that person and we keep working on our own part. Who knows, God may show us something. We should bless those who persecute us. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. All right, application. Okay, so now it's time to start thinking about how we would apply this biblical roadmap to your everyday life. So I'm guessing in a room this size, there are a few of us that are not at peace with one another. There might be some of you in the room who are a little sinking down in your chair right now. You're thinking, I could never do that. And to you, I would say, is this an opportunity? If conflict is an opportunity to glorify God, to serve one another, to reflect Christ in a uniquely tangible way, are you avoiding an opportunity? Is the Holy Spirit impressing on you to do some work, maybe even tonight? We can't, we're not trying to ruin your conference, <laughs> but we could not think truly of a better way to start this conference with teams unified. Now, others of you in the room, you like conflict maybe a little too much. And you're, you're kind of excited about taking somebody to task and now you've got new content and a new framework to do it. Um, we are also not trying to ruin anyone's conference. So please do not, please, 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 we do not weaponize this roadmap. We would ask you to ground yourself in humility and, and specifically the scriptures that talk about overlooking offense. All right, guys, so in a few minutes, here's how this session is going to wrap up. The worship team is going to come back out in just a few minutes, and they're gonna play some songs. 
And here's what we wanted to do is just build in some time. After you've heard TA speak, you've heard Lance share what Caitlin and I just shared, um, the scriptures that were woven all throughout, we wanna give you a chance to steal our theme, to pray and reflect. And so when the worship team comes back out, you may stand and sing because you are unified and whole and at peace and you wanna celebrate that. You may sit and need to pray about the next step you need to take. And then some of you, you might need to say the three most important words for your church or ministry that you could say this week is, can we talk? You might just need to say that to somebody when the worship team's up here singing songs and you guys walk out down the aisle out the door, you find a nice place to sit, the weather's beautiful, and you need to talk about something that's dividing a friction that's on your team. We wanna create space for you to do that right now. If you know I'm in a conflict and I can't overlook it, I know the log in my eye. All right, let's go deal with it, all right? If you don't do that here, you can do it at dinner. You can do it later tonight. But man, we have been praying that this would be a breakthrough moment for your churches or ministries, that you guys would be more unified, more at peace with one another, and more loving as you represent our Savior, unified together in your communities. So David, before we do that, I think the people want to know one thing. Yes. What do you think my outfit? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think your outfit is completely appropriate for this occasion. 